0: Okay, hi, and welcome to the Bizink podcast. I'm here with Guy Pearson from Practice Ignition. Thanks for coming along, Guy.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me, Matthew.
0: Yeah, no problem. Well, we're gonna have a chat about um, um, engagements and, and onboarding um, onboarding clients to your accounting firm. But before we get kicked off, um, could you just tell us a little bit about um, yourself, Guy, and, and Practice Ignition?
1: Yeah, cool. No problems. Um, so I'm an accountant by background. Uh, I used to run an uh, online cloud accounting practice here in Australia that I started called Interactive Accounting. And now I run a software company which spawned out of that firm called uh, Practice Initiation, And we're very much becoming, uh, if you like, the front office for an accounting firm. Uh, yeah, that could be CRM, it could be a few things. But ultimately what we do is we try and tie the engagement process through to workflow deployment, invoicing, payments, collection, reconciliation. And so you have a central hub where all your business intelligence and your business data so how you interact with your clients is actually centralized. We've got some amazing things coming later on. Uh, I won't talk too much about that, but effectively, what we're trying to do is is um, improve the client accountant relationship, and we've started with building some amazing tools uh, for an accountant or a bookkeeper to use in running their practice.
0: Okay, great. Well, um, yeah, Bizinc is a is a partner with Practice Ignition, and you know we we think it's an amazing piece of software. Um we'll put a, a whole bunch of information on the podcast page so um if you're listening you can you can find out more about PI. Um and um I guess look so so what we do at Biz Inc is um a big part of that is trying to to generate leads and, and, and ultimately new clients for, for accounting firms. Um but really um at that point where um you know somebody um Hits, hit, you know, says, okay, I want to become, um, I want to become a client. Um, you know, that that's, I guess, where where practice ignition takes over from from what we do. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, before firm engagement starts, um, what steps do you think firms have to take to to make sure there's a good fit between them and the client? And and I'd, I, I guess an additional question there would be. Should you ever turn business away if, if you don't think the fit is
1: right? Uh, definitely. Um, so I think, and I don't want to get too into the, the USP and what is your firm about because that's very much your thing, Matt. But um, <laughs> kind of thinking back up top is uh, you need to decide what the profile of client is that you're looking for um, and then think about it in, in I guess, a top-level point of view because most accounting firms are looking for a, a really decent-sized business client to sink the teeth into. And then we'll kind of take on the ancillary entities as a part for the course. So, you know, the trust account or the trust that owns the main company, the individuals that operate it, those sorts of things. So let's let's ignore the ancillary entities. You really need to focus on um, whether or not that main business is is a fit for you and your firm. Um, and what I mean by fit is, is can you actually add any value aside from compliance? I don't mean, you know, um, doing a balanced scorecard out of an app, I mean, do you actually understand how that industry operates? Are you able to break down what drives that business and actually start helping that business owner head towards the path that they've set as their goals, whether that's exit, whether that's becoming obsolete and just collecting dividends, you know, transitioning through um, different time frames and generations and people to run the company. Um, That all sounds like it might be a thing you can deal with down the track, Uh, but The more you have a niche or an industry or a particular kind of business that you have expertise in, uh, the more value you'll be able to add. Um, So that would definitely be the thing that I think about when I'm thinking about a client. I'd be thinking about the main entity, whether or not I have industry expertise or or a position of, I don't say power, but like the ability to actually add advice even in that first meeting. Um, And should you turn business away? Hell yes. Um, I think... um, if you've got a business that is completely off to the right in terms of what you normally deal with, um, you need to think about the impact that's going to have on your team once you bring that client on board. So does your team know anything about the you know, the marijuana industry in the US? No. Why the hell are you bringing on a marijuana client remotely who's operating out of Colorado um, if you're based in Australia or New Zealand if you don't know anything about how the business needs to run? what systems they have and what their options are, how taxes work around legalization of cannabis. You know, like, does that make sense? Like, you really should just be focused on the things that you know already and then building up, mastering those and then slowly adding on rather than trying to pick a client that has a a complete different, um, you know, industry sector. And the second thing to consider, and apologies for rambling on, (laughs) um, is... um, if that client is an entrepreneur, so there's, there's a few different types of accounting firms. So you might just like family businesses that don't have any major plans for growth and you know, looking after an investment portfolio is actually more important than doing the major entity. And that's fine. But if you are building a business services arm or an accounting firm around helping entrepreneurs grow their business, then you need to make sure that you're, you're in line and the value you're looking to provide is in line with what that person wants. Because if someone doesn't want to grow their business, and it's a hobby, um, then that should be you, know, you need to find the other things that really tick their boxes. Um, for my experience, we didn't want to deal with anyone that wasn't an entrepreneur. We wanted decision- makers, we wanted guys who were interested in guys and girls who were interested in growing their business. Um, they had an exit strategy at some point in time, because that's the whole reason you start a business, um, and they're thinking about their pathway there and wanted to help them achieve that. If that interest wasn't aligned, we were not the right accounting firm for you. Did you
0: have um, people you would refer them then to? Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we did. Um, We typically, um, in the early days, we probably took on clients before we kind of crystallized our vision. Um, In the early days, we were just the cloud accounting firm because that was enough of a niche. Um, But we moved into being the accounting firm for startups and and surrounding entities and venture capital firms and things. And so there's some clients now where we can't add a lot of value and we do try and find them another accounting firm that will work in a way that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, when we move to sort of fixed fees like wholeheartedly throughout the firm, um, there were some people who didn't like that so we'd find someone that would work in a time cost manner and send them the client. Because mm-hmm. offboarding is almost as important as onboarding. Um, making sure there's a good relationship there even on the way out mm-hmm. because they will still tell all their friends about you if you mm-hmm. made the process really easy uh-huh. and, and they were happy with the outcome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever had a client who you've off-boarded um, and they've changed to become more aligned with what you do then, and then they've come back to you?
1: Um, we've had clients leave and come back. Yeah. Um, and I think mostly because um, you know they may not have liked the fixed fee model but then they went to somebody else and then they got charged five times as much mm-hmm. for the next year because it was time cost and then and they came back like we so sorry we shouldn't have left. <laughs> um you know so we had that and then you know we we didn't put them on the price they were on originally we we the price went up. Yeah. Um, cuz cuz yeah we didn't offer the minimum package anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um so that that process of establishing the good fit. Um do you have some recommendations on how that that should take place?
1: Yeah. Um Sorry, can you repeat that one more time?
0: So I guess um, you know, be before uh, the engagement starts, and we're trying to establish yeah. that good fit. Um, do you, Do you have like a, a method of doing that? A certain structure, or does it depend on each
1: client? Um, so most, um, so I know that the firm uh, that I used to run, they built kind of a a litmus test, mm-hmm. um, particularly focusing on the you know that that entrepreneurial spirit and an entrepreneur. So. We wanted to deal in high-growth businesses, so if we were looking at a business and we thought they had promise of a certain uh, growth in revenue, or they were doing something really unique and cool that required a whole of a lot of help, um, whether it's like you know building brand new technology and they've got venture capital backing, um, you know, just like where where can we get in and help? And so we had you know a revenue test, we had growth tests, we had you know user base tests, we had. Um, yeah, you know, we'd almost review their pitch decks for these some of these startups. So it was like, you know, do they have a business plan? Yeah, even as simple as that, do they have a one pager? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of build out all these little these little things that you know, depending on what they come in and share with us, and how old they were, and those sorts of things. Um, you know, that's what we base it on. But if you've got someone who's coming in, it's like oh, I'm doing a startup, but um, you know, it's just an idea at the moment, and I can't afford to pay an accountant. I was like, look, well, look, you can here's some free tools. You can go set yourself up online doing this and come to our meetups, which are free. Uh, but we can't take you on as a client because we can't do anything with you at the moment if it's if there's no business to be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay, so you've gone through that process. You're happy. They said yes. Um, so what should happen next? How does that onboarding process work?
1: Um, so... I mean, obviously, we take care of this in practice, initiation. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole point is that you have a proposal. Hopefully, it's a fixed price agreement uh, for the core items, so compliance and, and CFO sort of piece that goes out to your client. Um, in a perfect world, you have visibility over that and an audit trail from you know sending it out to your client. Like we provide in PI, um, client opens it. There should be feedback available on the on the proposal. Um, the client should then be able to accept it and. Just like an e-commerce store, that acceptance should then drive, you know, workflow, client creation, uh, contact creation, workflow creation, be it across one job or many jobs into your practice management system. Um, same thing should also happen with your invoicing over into uh, into your invoicing system. Same thing with payments. Like it should all just be tied together. It kind of makes sense. Um, and then uh, the next step that should happen is there should be what happens next for both you and for the client. So. You can build inside your practice management what happens for you and the team. The step for your client should be very well spelled out inside a welcome aboard onboarding pack style thing, um, which should dictate who their point of contact is, what they need to send them next, what information they require, um, due dates and deadlines, key contact points. You know, what you know, basically telling the story of what that engagement means and how everything's going to happen. And what's required and when?
0: Okay. And um, did you see kind of like mistakes that a lot of firms are making in that um, onboarding process? Um,
1: oh, huge! The the lag times and the lead times across every stage of the engagement process is a debacle, which is why most accounting firms are happy with ten percent growth year on year, mm-hmm. of which probably 80% of that and this is not a quoted stat but a large percentage of that comes from their existing client base who start a new entity or ask them to do a bit of extra work. Um, It's not something they go out and look for. So um, typically speaking, uh, a good turnaround time in a traditional practice for a Word document, engagement letter to be sent to a client and still some of them are sent via paper. I don't know that for a fact (laughs) but just to get out of the office is probably a week. Client probably then receives it via mail, obviously, a week later. Um, you know, if there's feedback, there's no opportunity to provide that. So the accountant or the partner has to then call and ask them yeah. about the postal, if they remember, because yeah. they've got no visibility over where that sits at the moment. Yeah. Um, they can't see whether or not someone's opened it, commented asked questions, so they have to follow that up. Um, if they don't, then, you know, client... <laughs> Let's say a week for a proposal is a long time to wait. Yeah. Okay? Especially if they've left the meeting going, these guys are awesome, they're on top of their game. Um, if it takes them too long to get, deal with the next steps, they'll go see somebody else. Um, and so it's just all the time lags, the big things, and then all the disconnected systems. So you've got no visibility over what stage the engagement's even at, even in the sales process. Mm. You've then got no con- continuity. So if something comes back signed, it might take another week before it actually gets set up by the uh, the operations team at the accounting firm. Um, it might be another three weeks before the accountants even know that they've landed a new client and they have work to follow up on. You know, so this whole lead time just is nasty across the whole thing. Like the cost of acquisition for a typical accounting firm is huge, um, which is why they say it costs six times more to acquire a new client than retain an old one, yeah. because there's just so much admin. In there, And then yeah, going further past that, like an engagement process shouldn't be one-off one and one-and-only. You should review hey, what your business standing is with your clients on a regular basis.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Don't even want to get to the time on that um, but it's pretty much like a review of each client, profit and loss, um, a chat with each client around whether or not you can do more with them and then a review of the whole engagement and getting them to sign off on it. Yeah, um, yeah. So you go through this process typically once a year with each client. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's huge. Um, And I think, um, yeah, so the biggest mistakes are slow, being really slow Mm -hmm. on turnaround time, having disconnected systems so that your team doesn't even know what's going on and so your response time for your new client and the first impression you give is slow, uh, shoddy, uh, miscommunication of information internally so the clients don't get a good experience. And they usually have no visibility after they send back an engagement of what happens next. Um, And I think that's appalling to be mm-hmm. frank. Um, and all those things don't, don't make for a good experience. If you think about what happens when you buy an Apple product or if you order something online, even if you go to a vineyard over in WA like I did not so long ago and order a case of wine, mm-hmm. like Oz Post now gives you an update on where your parcels are. Yep. So you don't even worry about it. You
0: know? I think you're right. The world's changed. I mean, I, I was um... – talking to one of our clients and they wanted to put on their website this is uh, as a kind of key benefit of their service was we'll get back to you within 48 hours yeah. they, they wanted to advertise that as something that was great and i said like you know it should be you know like uh one hour <laughs> that's what you should be doing I said well we can't do that i said well that, that's what people expect you know um that especially um I said, especially younger people who are coming up. You know that that that's the kind of turnaround time that you've you've got to look at.
1: Yeah, yeah, No, definitely. I think it's just um, put yourself in the shoes on the other side. Like if all you do is think about what experience you've enjoyed when you bought something new or a relationship that you like, I guarantee you a lot of it will be based on the the online and digital nature of that relationship. Flow access to information, tracking where it's up to. Uh, knowing what happens next, knowing who to go to, having ease of access to information, like it's just huge, and we just still don't get that as an industry.
0: Do you think that's because there's too much of focus on the technical side? This is something I've thought about in the past is that um, um I, I've met firms who that, you know they talk about how good their the actual technical expertise are where, n- not just with accountancy, but as you just mentioned, what what customers really like is, is the experience is the most important thing.
1: Yeah. So, um, you so know, let's, look, it, 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 let's, yeah. let's look at Nokia. They could have had the best phone in the world, but yeah. Apple just beating them to market on every other facet of yeah. tech awareness, marketing. Like it, it's not always the best idea that wins. It's the execution. Yeah, right? Sure. So you could have the smartest team in the world and that's fantastic. You know, um, if they don't, market a good product and if the, the customer experience is shit house you're not going anywhere yeah
0: absolutely um, so um, you know efficiency is obviously a I a think that lot of firms are looking to, to do and the, and the clouds obviously help with that so with um, Air practice ignition how much time can a firm save per engagement
1: I would say that on average, so if we, if we just look at the engagement process, so let's let's get rid of the retargeting and all the other things we can help you do, but just that single process. If it's for a new client, probably a minimum of three hours, um, considering where we play on the visibility, the engagement, the creation, the sending, the feedback, the follow-up. Um, and then once the client accepts the creation of workflow, invoicing, payment, collection, distribution, and tying that and notifying the team and telling the customer what happens next, um, we do all of that, so there's at least three hours' work there. Um, we, If you think about the renewal process, it's probably at least a, an hour or two. Um, what it means, I guess, is also just the first impression. So I think we were talking before about you know partners and they, they talk about how much they charge as, a, as an idea of how much money they're safe. Um, so theoretically, if you want to one new client a month, um, PI pays for itself in spades. Um, right. If you want all the other benefits we get, like retargeting your existing customer base, we save you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year. If you think about if your ROI is greatest from retargeting your existing customer base, and we can help you do that um, you know, and give it to you on a platter and forecasting your revenue for the year like we can now with our new features. Um, it's, it's sort of huge. But going back to the initial question, uh, the engagement, it's at least three hours for a new client.
0: You mentioned... Um... The cost of acquisition um, is uh, it's pretty big in accounting firms. Have you got any numbers on that, um, no. even as a percentage of the kind of client's value?
1: Or? I would say it's probably two times the, uh, sorry, at least one times the annual revenue for the group. Okay.
0: Because
1: as the revenue goes up, the complexity goes up. Yeah. The number of meetings goes up, the care and, on the uh, engagement lenders goes up. So I would say it probably is that up until something around the $10,000 annual fee. Mm-hmm. After that, obviously, they're not spending that many hours. Yeah. Um, um, but just thinking about all the time that you're not charging, um, that when you a pre-client coming on board and you shouldn't charge for the onboarding either because mm-hmm. you're just going to write it off at the other end of the year So um, as you, if you're looking at time. Um, so I would say probably around about that mark. So, so basically, the time.
0: first year is free. Effectively, is that well, not free. Well, free. <laughs> You're not making any money from
1: it. It's, it's break even yeah. at best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so, aside from you know efficiency, what do you think of the other benefits of of automating the engagement process?
1: So I think visibility over the status, mm-hmm. being able to project where your business is going. As mm-hmm. I mentioned before, we've got some new. Um, BI dashboards that are currently in testing, which uh, a bunch of our customers have, and the biggest piece of feedback is I'm not playing in Excel anymore to try and figure out what my projected revenue is for the year mm-hmm. um, because I can see it. And if I add a new client, and I can see, you know, I can see what's in my pipeline, I can guess the my conversion rate and how much how that's going to impact both my monthly recurring fees and also my projects. And I get a really good picture and sense of where we're up to and who's responsible for for bringing that work. Um, that's huge. Um, and I think it's it 's really being able to dig into that bi side of things and understanding where your firm is and what clients take up in terms of services um, that is the huge benefit of actually having that core singular contract engine and client engine where everything is stored and accepted out of because you can you 've again got the ability to data mine um, it 's kind of like having um, yeah, we're effectively building like the accountant CRM, right? But mm-hmm. it does they don't need a full blown CRM, they just need something um that kind of is connected to everything else that they use. Um they don't yeah, data segmentation is not something accountants are great at, ironically, when it comes to customers or clients. So we're trying to bring all that together.
0: Yeah, cool. Um so I mean that, that kinda of leads me on to the next question would be um I mean that that that's um pretty advanced stuff I think and um it's certainly perceived um in what well, I've just been at Xerocon in, in the UK, and, and the feedback I got was the perception is that firms in Australia and New Zealand are really leading the rest of the world in, in terms of how they run things, how they run their practices. Um, you're obviously working with practice ignition um, with firms right across the globe. A um, couple of questions on that. so do you see differences in how they work? and do you think there's anything that um, firms outside of Australia, could learn um, from from them um, and, and possibly vice
1: versa. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think the I think the biggest thing is just the understanding of what going cloud actually means. So if you go cloud, just running your business from a practice perspective, um, you're typically not going to have a business client. So we're thinking of business clients. We're just a ledger that's cloud based. You're going to want to put in some efficiency to get better data. So, you know, putting in something like a receipt bank or a HubDocs mm-hmm. to make sure that they don't have to do data entry. And so you're saving the client money, saving yourself money. You should just bundle it in um, so that they're paying you for it. More um, so that you are the admin user and, and it just kind of is the way you do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's the ledger you pick. So zero your QBO um, for the centralization of the accounting function. Um, if payroll isn't built into that, then a payroll solution and then probably a data management tool or a um, or a forecasting tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you think about all those things, you then got all your costs shift from, one, uh, from just being a ledger inside your accounting system mm-hmm. to monthly expenses for software. Um, you then need to be providing benefit in the same time frame, so on a monthly or quarterly basis. And whenever you deliver value, you need to be billing just to make things make sense. Um, so... What it means is that typically people are going from one invoice a year to 12. Okay. Um, they're doing proposals where the price although it's fixed may change based on changing circumstances because you know no client stays the same all year round unless they're not growing or not doing anything. Um, and so um, I think where Australia and New Zealand have kind of hit the, hit the nose on the head is that they've gone okay so we need to move to a monthly billing structure so that we can roll out cloud technology. Um, and we need to change the way we think about our business in terms of we're going to be a two-speed firm. So I just did a post this morning with a bookkeeping firm up in Brisbane um, and basically it highlights two things. You need to be tracking your MRR or your monthly recurring revenue
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you need to be looking at what your project revenue is. So stuff that is an MRR which should be your value add and your, um, you know, your advisory work, uh, project work. Um, MRR seeing so monthly recurring should tie your clients in, should be giving them more than just compliance like the, the CFO on a regular basis meetings, um, even support for questions or tie-in bookkeeping, et cetera. Um, but it should cover all your costs. And then you the, the, the the project work should be your cream, right? And, yeah, you know, your MRI your monthly recurring revenue can be more than your costs, um, which is absolutely fine. That's awesome. Um, but, you know, you need to be thinking about that. So I think the other thing that the Aussie and Kiwi firms have gotten onto is that by going cloud, they have to do R&D. They had to do their own R&D. So cloud as opposed to desktop solutions is free to trial, free to support. Um, you don't need to pay implementations um, for a lot of these things, right? So it means the onus goes back on the accountant to actually be self-learning and understand even in those core modules, so payables, uh, ledger, payroll, receivables, and, and reporting, um, what stack they want to roll out for their clients. So what, what software works best? Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably more so where the Aussies and the Kiwis are ahead of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's probably due to some of the best tools coming out of New Zealand and Australia.
0: Because mm. you told me, um, I think last time we caught up in Sydney, I think the stats you gave were adoption of cloud uh, counting 25% New Zealand, 20% Australia. Um, that was a while ago. Has that gone up?
1: I think, it might have been, I think it would have been higher in New Zealand Yeah. Uh, okay. and I think lower in Oz, probably 10%. Okay. Um, but it depends on how you define cloud accounting. Mm. Uh, so also the number of small businesses. So there's a lot more in terms of per capita in Australia than New Zealand when it comes to proper small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's something like 15% in Oz now. Okay. I don't know what it is in New Zealand. Okay. Um, but the rest of the world's markets, particularly the UK, US, Canada, is sort of sitting around the 1% to 2%. Oh, really? Um, okay. Um, might have changed. I I tend to, I don't know where QBO's customer base is actually based, but it might be higher depending on whether or not a lot of their customers are in Australia, India, or elsewhere.
0: Mm -hmm, mm Um. So some of those, I mean, have you seen anything from firms, global firms, in in other countries that um you think is innovative or, or different than than the Australian New Zealand model?
1: Um. I think there's a, a, some good firms that are doing outreach to try and connect countries mm-hmm. and sort of using that as their, as their niche. I think that the biggest thing is just saying the, the unique selling uh, proposal. So what, what's a USP um, where certain firms overseas just get it and they're like, we are the accountants for, I always go back to Steve Chaney out of Sacramento, so we are mm-hmm. the accountants for faith-based organizations yes. in America. right? It's like, okay. Think about what that means, and what it what it allows you to is build up thought leadership, and also be able to tell, you know, five thousand entities across the country how they should best run their practice yeah. or best run their, their faith based organization, so they're spending less time in admin and more money is going back to whatever the cause of that particular church is, mm-hmm. right? Which is huge. But you know, for Steve, it's also a huge business opportunity, um, and it may sound like you know you shouldn't associate you know, business opportunity with faith based religions, but if they were going to pay someone else. 10 grand for the same advice that Steve's gives it to him for 500 bucks because he knows it straight off the cuff. Obviously it's a great benefit.
0: Yeah. I've certainly noticed with the firms we've been working with in the States that, um, niching or, or niching as they would say that Mm -hmm. is, um, is, is, is much more prevalent. And I don't know whether that's because they're, um, they're more switched on to that or because it's a bigger country. So, you know, um, like take faith-based organizations or churches there, you know, that's a multi-billion dollar industry whereas, uh, say, New Zealand where I'm based, it would be, you know, it wouldn't be huge.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it, it all depends on what kind of firm you want to build, right? So, you know, you, you know, farming might be what you want to be the best at mm-hmm. and maybe even, you know, I don't know, I don't know what else, so sheep, cows and, you know, maybe it's pig farming. Maybe you want to be a pig farming accountant for New Zealand <laughs> I have no idea what the size of that market is. But I guarantee you that if you got really good at it, you know, client numbers don't always drive total revenue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Especially if you're full service across the board. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I think it's just the, the big difference between Oz, particularly Australia, I think more so even than NZ, is, is just the complete adoption of, of cloud for businesses mm-hmm. and you know, looking at the interest in connecting data flows. So like the API, um, to quote Tom from team, the API is your new full-time equivalent. And I think the Australian workers get that not only for their firms, but also for their clients.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. Um, one other question. I was uh, looking at the um, Good, Bad and the Ugly report, which um, <laughs> if, if, if people don't know what that is, it's um, a report into the Australian accounting industry. It's done every year. And, um it said that um, per partner revenue dropped in 2015 by 8.9, percent um, and also that the average client fee dropped 8% in 2015 after dropping um, 10.2% in, in 2014. So, just ask you what what you think that kind of what message that sends uh, to the profession, and and um, possibly what firms can do to reverse those kind of
1: numbers. For sure. So, I mean, I don't know what the sample size is for the good, the bads, and the ugly, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's the same firms you on year. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think a couple of things might also happen that may not be included in that. Like, obviously, we've got an aging demographic amongst our partner age group. Mm-hmm. So there could also be the firms where the partners are just scaling back. Yeah. So I. So let's assume that none of that comes into play, mm-hmm. and all these firms are interested in growing. Um. I think what's happening is you're seeing just a, a more efficiency on the compliance side, they're probably losing clients because people are measuring apples with apples these days. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, the old school accountant does this and I don't mean anything around age. It's just you know they they like shoe boxes. If they're a part of that study, then they're going to lose clients to firms like the one that I started who are doing everything online and it's all connected. Yeah. Um, I think uh, particularly if it's a compliance-based firm which I presume a lot of those uh, guys are, um, you've also got people retiring in their client bases. And so they're going from having you know, company trust super fund to just having a super fund. Um, you know, so you've got entity depletion uh, amongst some firms. Um, but more than likely, I think it's mostly driven by the efficiencies. Um, and, and I'm just trying to say, so I, I think you really need to get a demographic split of who's involved in that survey to actually give proper context. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing that is a certainty and... And maybe this highlights it is that you've got compliance becoming automated. Like it's not too hard to see a future with the you know the inventions like blockchain, which is the whole encryption flow technology that underwrites Bitcoin, for instance, mm-hmm. to flow through the whole financial tech industry. So that you know when you pay with your credit card or you know, maybe even with your thumbprint in the future um, at a terminal, that all that data will go straight through to your accounting system, pre-coded all the way up into your accounting tax return and that you won't have a job effectively as an accountant other than being a reviewer.
0: Well, the ATO's working on an API project, right? And uh, uh, ZeroCon London, HMRC there, likewise. So, um, you know, it's going to automate through there.
1: Exactly. I mean, so you need everyone to play together, but ultimately if people don't play, someone else will come in and build the thing that does play. So um, I think, you know, we're heading, we've probably got five, ten years, particularly in Australia, before... You know, I'd say a good chunk. I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but a decent chunk of returns. Um, even small business returns are automated, um, and so you've got that coming. And I think people see that. And so, if you don't provide any value, and tax is not value. Tax planning, yes, but tax itself is just an outcome. Like you know, yeah. If you don't help them trying to improve the amount of cash they're going to have in their bank next year, then you know, those clients are going to start winding off and find someone who does.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, drop it up there. Um, thanks very much for coming along guy. As I say, we'll put some information about practice ignition, um, on the website. So, um, yeah, highly recommend you, you check that out. Yeah.
1: that will be great.
0: Cheers. guy. see you later.
1: Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye.